Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, the founder and CEO of Startups.com and my dear friend. I also have a bunch of my other dear friends here today. Founders from our community have decided to join us and listen to Will and I babble for half an hour and then argue with us for the balance of the time. So buckle in. This is going to be an interesting one. As you're all probably aware... There's a lot going on in the macro environment right now. We are mid-November of 2022. Layoffs are the soup du jour, and they're happening everywhere. Big orgs, small orgs, and everything in between. And we're all seeing that play out in real time, and we all sort of understand what that means. Lots of people getting fired, lots of people looking for jobs. Startups are not immune to this either. And there's one thing that we're not really talking about, Will, and that's what I'd like to talk about today is while all of these other folks are being jettisoned from the ship, what's happening to the founders? The founders go down with the ship. Oh, no. Yeah, you don't say. Yesterday, a good friend of mine, uh, he's in one of our founder groups, sent me a text, him and his wife, and said, and he said something to the effect of true love is signing joint bankruptcy with your wife right? And they were both like happy as can be. Now, now, I listen, and he wasn't being sarcastic. He's a great guy. I hope he listens to this episode because this is for you, buddy. What he was saying is, you know, startup obviously ran into challenges. He was signed on for everything personally. And he was at the point where creditors were sending people to his house, talking to his friends, his family, trying to get money back. That's not pleasant. It's a nightmarish hellscape. It's a it's total nightmare. It's the part, like we talk about, that's not quite in the brochure of being a, a founder, right? <laughs> right? The part where it's like, when you hear about raising lots of money and things, things scaling, sounds awesome to be a founder. But today, we're going to talk about the other side. What happens when everything goes south and you can't escape? The reason we're going to talk about this is to prevent that from happening, or at least kind of put that in the back of your mind to go, wait, wait, what? I can't just stop doing this? No. Today, Ryan and I are going to talk about how many things you are tethered to and how hard it is to unwind yourself from your startup. It's easy as you think, but you can't just quit. It's rarely that easy. And we're going to talk about why. So we have a lot to cover. And I have a feeling that by the end of this, all the folks that are in our studio audience today are all going to go running for the hills. <laughs> so we're just going to terrify everyone. We generally have that effect on people, Will. Yeah, so I don't yeah, know that'll yeah, be yeah. all that different. Yeah. So let's set it up though, Ryan. Let's set it up. We've got our startup. It's at the brink. Things may, uh, maybe we lost, you missed a funding round or just run out of money. All the stuff that happens to startups and it's happening a lot right now. And we have to call it quits. That's where this, this story, this show is going to begin. The part where we have to call it quits. Everyone else can bail. Not us. Not us. And Ryan, I, I think we need to understand how personal this is. And I don't just mean emotionally, I mean financially. We're stuck to this thing, you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's one of those things where it's death by a thousand cuts, right? And as hard as it is to unwind, boy, it was easy to get wound up in all of it, right? All of those little agreements we signed, right? Some of the big ones like the office lease, some of the little ones like the, the broadband contract that it turns out there's no way out of for three years because of that great rate they gave us to the personal credit cards we've run up, to the business credit cards we've run up that we didn't realize we were also personally liable for. That whole thing about piercing the corporate veil, <laughs> it does happen a lot. Yeah, but here's the thing, like 
No one thinks about that stuff. And I'll give you some examples. No. And individually, they're inconsequential. I think that's why we don't think about them. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal to be stuck with a $300 a month broadband bill when the company's paying for it. When all of a sudden that's coming out of your pocket, and by the way, you don't have any more money, that becomes very consequential. When we were running a company in Santa Monica, we had done a a short-term lease of like three years for like, I think it was like $7,000 a month. Yeah. It's a closet in Santa Monica, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it, was, it practically was a closet, right? I think it held like five of us to, to give you a sense for it. But we didn't think much of it because we had just raised a bunch of money. And again, we thought we were being as frugal as can be. But the landlords, having been through this once or twice before, were like, yes, we'll sign with the company, but we also need a personal guarantor. Now, here's the people that are not in line to be personal guarantors. Everyone, <laughs> except for us. The investors are never going to be personal guarantors. The staff is never going to be personal. No one will be personal guarantors except these idiots. I've tried it. I was like, hey, Mark and HR, I I need you to sign this document for me. And he's like, this says I'm liable for the entire lease of the company. I'm not signing that, Ryan. Like, okay. And you have to understand it's because all of these businesses, you know, whether it's the landlord, whether it's broadband, whether it's Amex, whatever. They don't care about the corporate entity. Why? Because the corporate entity will not be the one stuck with the bill when everyone leaves. If everyone could just leave and the corporate entity just disappears and all of a sudden all the the liabilities go with it, (laughs) they never collect on anything. But you attach somebody's personal credit score or personal threat of bankruptcy, and all of a sudden that corporate entity comes up with a lot more money for a lot longer. And so our story begins. And so we bought a company called Zirtual years ago. Zirtual was in this, this overnight shutdown situation. I won't get into all the details. But a couple of the people, the founders, had been using their personal cards to front the company. So personal Amex, right? That, which is the most common. Everybody gets an American Express card. Everybody loves the idea that, that we're, we're running company expenses through it. We're racking up points. We're going on a sweet vacations. <laughs> all that free time we've got. Yep. Yeah, all that free time, right? The part that no one thought about was what happens if the bill is due, but the company's not there to pay it anymore. So they had, I think it was somewhere around like a ninety to a hundred thousand dollar bill. And if you remember, American Express typically only does thirty day cycles. They have a couple, you know, longer term cards now, but it's te- technically a charge card. So this one guy who was a co founder didn't have that much stake in the business, but just happened to throw his card down on the day that they were starting the company, personally owed $90,000 that month. So here's what happens. He goes back to us and he said, well, hey, are you guys going to pay it? And it was like, dude, we didn't actually buy the company. We just bought the assets. You guys owe the money. Like, like we're not even tied to it. He's like, wait, what? He goes back to the investors and he said, hey, you know, we got to you know, cover this $90,000 liability that the company has. And the investors can't, say, can't quite hear what you're saying. Yeah. The line seems to be breaking up. <laughs> yeah. saying, no, we don't. Yeah. And this poor guy, this poor guy is sitting there going, what the hell just happened? Like, I thought I was doing the company a favor by putting my name and my card on the line. And now all of a sudden, at this point, he has no money. The company has no money. And he owes $90,000 tomorrow. There's no return on that favor. Buddy, this is the part where all of a sudden people start looking around going, wait, how did this happen? And it happens a lot. And it's all those things you never thought about because at the time you did it, it you never occurred to you that it would come back to you. 
and here we are. Here we are. Yeah. I mean, and in some cases, we're, we're clearly entering into these things, right? Where we are signing on as, as, as personal guarantors. In, in, other, in other cases, there may be issues where it, it's not obvious that we're going to become liable for this, that we do feel like we're protected by the corporate structure. And I think we can dig into that a little bit later. We've got a lawyer in the audience, so I want to get her perspective on this. I've got my own stories on that one, but it was mostly dumb mistakes. Yeah. So what is it that we can do about this. I mean, like when we, when we really start to think about this, like we don't have that many options. Well, let's talk about what happens, right? Everyone's wondering, well, when push comes to shove, like, like who bails me out? No one, no one bails you out. No, they don't even hand you, they don't even hand you the bucket to bail with. They're just like, yeah, hey, good luck. When we wound down Afford It, you know, again, the same company that I mentioned that was based in, in Santa Monica, I was the original founder, and then Elliot Schneider, who's our COO now, came on, became a co-founder, et cetera. But I had signed everything first, right? All of our liabilities I'd personally signed for. When the company ran out of money, we had like nine different investors. And we had big investors. We had like Founders Fund. We had Bessemer. We, we had great investors, right? Didn't matter. The investors aren't liable in the way you think they are, right? And it's not even just the fact that we have all these ongoing liabilities that I'm, I'm attached to. The other thing people don't think about is who pays for the entity itself to get wound down? Because that can be significant. That can be really significant. Yeah. We helped somebody through that last year where I, I think the number I have in mind was 120K to wind down, to take care of some various things that were owed to the government, for example, and then just the wind down of the entity. They were requiring audited financials. And so like there was $120,000 from a company that had no money just so that the company could cease to exist. That's my point. When Zirtual had to wind down, if you remember, Ryan, they had to bring in somebody to kind of officially wind it down because somebody has to deal with all the creditors that the organization has, et cetera. And that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to wind down that company for a company that had no money. Again, this is the part that, that, that no one's having that conversation saying, hmm, if we run the bank account to zero, how do we actually turn the company off? Yeah, you might not be able to. That's exactly it. Yeah. People don't know that. They assume that when it comes time to wind the thing down, everyone will put in. You know, they're they're salty about it, but everyone will put in their little pro rata to make sure that they can help help get that done. Right. Let's all get away clean together. Like that generally does not happen. Everyone disappears, everyone gets amnesia, and then whoever the the last idiot to hold the bag, which is typically the original founder, the only founder that was dumb enough to sign anything. And when I say dumb enough, I've done it. Ryan, you've yeah. done it. Dumb enough, meaning like... You don't feel like you have a choice in the moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we get in the spot where now we're in real trouble because the company itself is losing money. You know, again, all these bills are stacking up. Like real liabilities are starting to happen. And now we're like, well, we don't have any money, but we actually have to wind this thing down. And we don't have any mechanic. There's no accountants or attorneys to get this done. Right. We're liable for a bunch of financial stuff. And everyone else was liable to walk away. <laughs> that's, that's what they did. Exactly. And so what do we do? Now we start to realize that the only way to get out of this is to file for personal bankruptcy. And we're like, how did that happen? No one else is filing for personal bankruptcy. All of our staffs, are, in, thank, thankfully, are, are filing for personal bankruptcy. Our investors, maybe with this stock market, they're filing for personal bankruptcy, but generally aren't filing for... How did it only happen to us? And what happens is all of the liabilities, all the liabilities in the company 
essentially just get funneled back to us. And there's another side to it. If you're the creditors, the people that we owe money to, there's only one person you can call. You know the investors aren't going to pay the money. You know, you're obviously not going to call like the director of whatever to go pay the money. You know the only person that's likely tied to all of this is the founder or founders. And so you're coming after them. Now, all of a sudden, as a founder, you run to the point where you have zero dollars in the bank, which means long ago, as a from personal income, you had zero dollars in the bank. That's how you got here. So you probably haven't been paid in six months to a year, right? And you've run up the credit cards, you've taken out the home equity line, you've done all the things to make it work, and it still didn't. And now you're at a point where you're at zero or negative dollars, and you actually need dollars to stop the bleeding, right? Because otherwise, you will continue potentially to incur additional liabilities, interest on cards, penalties on unpaid rents, whatever it is, the stuff starts to stack up really, really fast. And chances are, like I said, we have zeros of dollars to pay for it. By the way, personal bankruptcy costs money too. Funny story. One of my, it's not a recent history, but I would say five, six years ago, it was one of my kind and charitable acts. I helped somebody to pay for their bankruptcy. They didn't have enough money to declare bankruptcy. And so they needed cash from somebody. Yeah, like handing somebody thousands of dollars so that they can go and declare bankruptcy somehow didn't feel good, right? Like I was glad to help, but it's like, that's not really what you want to help somebody do. No. Where it becomes particularly difficult is. We're sitting here going, I, I thought I did everything right, right? I, I, I thought I did everything right. I thought I went out. I was willing to put myself on the line. I brought people in to help build this thing. I brought investors to support this thing. I thought I did everything right. Why am I sitting here right now signing for personal bankruptcy? The reason that happens is because we just didn't understand how far the rabbit hole on this actually goes. We actually didn't understand that all of these liabilities that get created all map back to us. But it's a limited liability company, and, and it is. It's limited. It's just <laughs> not, not limited. limited as much yeah. as you want it to be, particularly if you sign away those rights directly. Yeah, I think I think founders have this sense that, and I, I certainly did with the early ones, that you know, you're, you're playing high-stakes poker, right? And you make your bets, you've got your money, and when you, you run out of chips, you walk away from the table. And it doesn't feel good, but you walk away from the table. It's not the case, right? We're tied to that chair and we have to keep playing the hands until we actually properly wind it down. And that is just so painful. There's also a piece of this too, where the reason all of these things are, are tied to us personally is because long before the corporate entity has any kind of like signing ability, everything maps back to us. To this day, Startups.com is still working off of my personal credit card that I dropped down 10 years ago. Right? <laughs> We've been using it for so long that we sort of forgot about it, but like nothing has changed because back in the day, everything was personal. It takes a lot of effort and time in transactional history to be able to build a truly self-sustaining startup that signs all its own documents. And again, the problem is long before that happens, you've already made most of these commitments because you kind of had to. You needed office space at the time. You needed credit card at the time, whatever. You needed broadband. You needed all those things long before your entity was ready to support it on its own. There was no operating agreement and there was no, there was no corporate entity even at that point. There was nothing, right? You're just, you're spending out of your own account, signing documents in your own name. 
And again, even even after the entities exist, in a lot of cases, like the landlords, they're not going to accept the corporation will be fully responsible for this. If you're nationwide insurance, you can sign a lease. They're not asking anybody for a personal guarantee on that. But if you're Ryan or Will, they're like, hey, great. I'm glad you guys have been in business for, for 10 years. That's, that's awesome. We'll still need your personal signature right here on this line, right? That's the part I think it's important to understand. Startups are small long before they're big. And in that small time, in that era, which is usually a long time for us, that's the only way we can get stuff done. If you were to push back and you were to say, well, Will, Ryan, like, okay, cool. How do I not do this? Guess what? You kind of don't, right? You do have to sign this stuff. You do have to lock yourself up. And ideally, you wouldn't, right? Ideally, somehow like, the corporation could do it on their own. But I got to say, if, if you're thinking about it right now, going, well, I'm kind of like signed to a lot of stuff now that I think about it. That's 99% of the cases. The 1%, the only exception is someone that is able to raise money incredibly quickly and be able to kind of like take care of things with all the money that they've raised. But usually long before that, we're signing for all this stuff personally. Right. And honestly, unfortunately, a lot of times we see people raise money really quickly. And what do we see them do? Take on a bunch of additional liabilities and overheads. Right. So it, in some cases, I've seen that exacerbate the problem because then that funding runs out and you've got you've built up a much larger pile of liabilities that you may or may not be personally liable for, but still on the unwind. Also, the problem is a lot of this stuff is kind of expensive at the end, you know, to do a corporate wind down assignment by creditor, you know, whatever you're doing. And like I say, you just don't have any of that money. So as the, the business is kind of going the wrong direction, a founder with a little bit more experience or maybe one that listened to this podcast would go, you know, before we spend like the last, last, last dollar, we might want to like cut things off here because we're going to need some of that money to, to wind things up. If you've never done it before, it wouldn't even occur to you. Wouldn't even occur to you. Didn't occur to me. Yeah. Had this conversation almost probably a year ago to the day with a founder who was trying to decide whether they needed to wind down the company or not. And that was right where the conversation went. I said, well, let's talk about what are your liabilities? What are your cash balances? What are your current cash flows? And let's figure out, like, are we even past the point where you can get away from this clean? Or if we do this now, will you be okay? And it turned out they basically had two and a half more months to make the decision based on, you know, their the current burn rate, the amount of cash they had, and the anticipated expenses to wind down the company. And that's ultimately what they ended up doing. They waited about another two months to see if they could turn things around. They did not. And they made the decision at the right time. But so they started asking the questions at the correct point in time, which was before we'd hit zero, before it was full disaster mode, while we still had enough money to be able to pull the ripcord on the parachute. And also being cognizant, because if you've never been through this before, if this is your, your first rodeo, and it doesn't occur to you that, that these liabilities are real, that landlord that you signed with, that the company signed with first, but they also, you were the, the co-signer and you're thinking, oh, well, the company will cover this long before they'd ever come after me. Not if the company doesn't exist anymore. Right? You're the only collectible person. All debts go to the most collectible person, not the person most responsible or the, the person most at risk. It's just, who can we get money from? With the most ability to pay. Yep, that's it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and sometimes, most often, that's us, which sucks. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. 
So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. On that note, I want to talk to the team here now that we've terrified everybody. <laughs> That's part of this conversation. I want to hear from you guys. First off, is this familiar to anybody? Has anybody actually been through this before? Had to go through this? Or is this new information? Like, whoa, hold on. Like, this yeah, I guess is I'll start. a little bit terrifying. <laughs> Thoughts? Uh, so this is all completely new information for me. And having started a few businesses myself, the last one uh, was actually a photography business. So there wasn't really that much overhead. There wasn't really that much risk. It wasn't really the high stakes poker poker game that you're kind of describing. For me, the most expensive piece of equipment was a $5,000 camera, which I'm still pretty much paying off for it right now, even two to three years after the fact. Not surprised at all. But having said that, what it is that you're describing, I've always thought that if the business were to sink, then everything else was going to sink with it. But the fact that you're saying that creditors can actually go after me even after the business, wow, that's completely new. Yeah, debts float. That's something that people don't describe. Yeah, you don't know, but they're actually quite buoyant. Regardless of the ship going down, the debts and the liabilities tend to float right there on the surface, and you have to deal with them. So, Justin, the thing is, for a lot of folks, when we're signing these liabilities, it doesn't occur to us that we are signing these liabilities. I mean, just about everybody you know on this show right now probably has a corporate American Express card. But I guarantee if you look real closely at what you probably signed, it's not that corporate. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty personal. Right. It may have your company's name on it, but it's not the company they're going to come after when the money's due. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is there a way for you to kind of sign some of these liabilities under the company's name instead of your personal name? Great question. There are a couple things you can do. You can re-sign agreements once the company itself has its own standing. So for example, if, if I were to take on uh, investors, the first thing I would do is create a new American Express card that wasn't based on me. Now, American Express isn't stupid. They've funded more companies than anybody in the history of history. And they understand better than anybody that the company paying off when the company goes out of business versus Justin paying off is going to be two very, very different outcomes. And so even then, it's very difficult to get one that's not tied to you. Now, some other folks have come out, like Brex came out, and were trying to do uh, cars that were mainly tied to the company, but they were also mainly only trying to work with venture-funded companies. So not quite the same thing. For the average person not raising a ton of VC, you're probably still going to be signing for it. But what I wanted to point out is, if you do go on to raise money or the company hits a certain threshold, deliberately going back and saying, what am I tied to? And how do I unwind that is a really valuable exercise. Really valuable exercise. And it's one that almost always gets overlooked, unfortunately, right? Because we know dozens and dozens of founders who found themselves in this problem where they could have easily switched over agreements at some point. Maybe not easily, but they could have at least gone back and tried to renegotiate. I remember going through this when we still had our office in Columbus when they still wanted a personal signature on our broadband. And I was like, paying you guys for six years. Like nobody's signing personally on this. Like we'll keep paying you for broadband. Tell you what, if we don't turn it off, like there's your recourse. I've had five different instances I can think of throughout my 30 years building startups where I had to go to my landlord and say, we can't make the payments anymore. The most recent example, which wasn't like a bankruptcy thing was when COVID hit. And Ryan, we had, we had the office in Columbus, Ohio. And we went back to our landlord and we were like, dude, we're never going to come back to an office, right? Like we, we physically can't. I liked that they assumed that we were. They were like, so we uh, we assume you'll want to renew the, the lease at the same terms. And we're like, 
no. Like, we haven't been there for three months. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, well, were you talking about a month or two? And it was like a little office park situation. I was like, you know no one's here, right? You have heard of COVID, right? And at the time, it's just this is like three months into COVID. They're like, ah, it'll blow over. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a low-grade flu. Needless to say, we don't have an office there anymore. But they were not fun or supportive of it. The landlords, to me, are always the funniest ones because like, unlike everyone else, they don't care. That money goes directly in their pocket and they're collecting for themselves. Uh, they're difficult conversations. All right, let's take it from the top. Uh, Ryan, you want to you jump through? I talked to Dina a little bit about some of the items on here. She's our resident lawyer. You want to kick us off, Ryan? So Dina, you asked, you said you'd be interested in hearing my experience with the actual piercing the corporate veil happening and being enforced in real life. And yes, that is separate than doing a personal guarantee. So in my case, one of the mistakes that I made where, where they decided they would try to, to do that was there had been some commingling of funds, right? Where I had, you know, used my checking account here and there to support the company and then made some payments back to myself and didn't necessarily document those as clearly as I should have. I was 19 and a half, so I've grown a bit since then. But yeah, so it, it was things like that. It was places where I had obviously myself it kind of pulled back the corporate veil and stepped right through it and then tried to hide back on the other side later. In this case, it wasn't a bankruptcy. It did lead to some restructuring of payments to a creditor that we had, which we managed at, at the end. But yeah, it was, they made it very apparent that there was no version of me just winding down and walking away that I would be paying for it. But you know, Dina, maybe we maybe we get you involved now and you tell us the differences because I prefer not to give legal advice given that I don't have those two fancy letters after my name. I will come on and also say I'm not giving any legal advice because I can't <laughs> to anyone on this podcast uh, unless someone wants to contact me and, and enter into engagement. So I'm going to put that little legal disclaimer out there. But Fair. I guess it's an interesting one because it's like I don't want to dis... I think it's important, and I think you're right, that a lot of people don't understand this, don't know what they're signing. So I think it's super important for people to realize that. I also, on the other side, and part of my question was, I don't want to overly scare people and have them think like, oh, entities don't matter at all. And so like that there's something just about being a founder that would mean that they're definitively liable. What I was getting at was less about the the piercing of the corporate veil and more so the misunderstanding of where that veil actually exists. You know, like armored cars are great if you're inside them, right? But when we start to do things outside of them, we're as susceptible as anybody else. And I think that was probably, it was poorly phrased, but that was really what I meant was that when we tend to assume we created an LLC, now I can run around and do whatever I want willy nilly and I'll be protected because I have this thing called an LLC and I'll show you. Here's the state documentation that says it exists. I'm safe now, right? Depending on what you've been doing, no, you're not necessarily, right? So I think that's where we get things confused is exactly how far does that veil extend and what are all the myriad things that founders merrily find their ways traipsing outside of that veil? Yeah. And I, I think that makes total sense. And I think it's kind of two issues, right? There's the, you're doing stuff on your own personal, like you're putting stuff on a personal card, you're putting stuff on, you're signing a personal guarantee, those type of things that are outside the business to begin with. And it's like, no, you're liable for that. I know it's a business expense, but 
if you are doing anything and you've signed for personal liability, you have personal liability. Um, so that's one thing to kind of worry about and and pay attention to, like what's on your personal credit card and not just say like, oh, well, it's a business expense. So obviously it's fine. It's like, no, that's actually your, that's your credit line. That's your personal credit. And that it will affect you if, if you can't pay it, unfortunately. And then there's the second part, which I think is what really more por- piercing the corporate veil. And it sounds like the issue kind of you ran into where there is a veil and it there is protection. But if you treat your company like it's your own personal finances or you mix them, you start creating a doubt <laughs> in a court's mind if you ever got in that position as to whether or not this is a legitimate business or is it your own money. And that's where on the outside of signing things, even if you don't have stuff on your own personal credit card, it's all on a business credit card, but you're putting your own personal vacations on there and doing all kinds of other things that's really for you, not for the business and spending money that way and mixing them. Then you now put yourself into the issue where that veil might not be respected. And you're going to be looked at as it's the same, unfortunately. I get that. All right. Hey, uh, jumping over to Justin McAfee, are you able to package a bunch of these small costs into your business and can sweep them in under the bankruptcy? Was was this a small print in purchasing a business, something that didn't come up in the due diligence? Uh, Justin, from your standpoint, what are your thoughts or concerns there? What prompted that? The first thought there, are you able to package a bunch of these small costs? It was more in pertaining to actually having the debt in a failing business actually getting transferred from the business entity over to personal liability. So you already answered that question. The second one, was this the small print in purchasing a business? It was more in relation to the story that you gave or the anecdote in relation to Zirtual, uh, talking about the $90,000 bill uh, that came due 24 hours later of purchasing. Is it something that just didn't show up in due diligence as you were kind of working through this this documentation? Or is it something that was swept under the rug that just was heinous? Well, here's what's really interesting. So Zirtual sold the business to us, okay? So technically you're thinking, wait, the founder sold a business. Like that's good, right? Not exactly. We did what's called an asset purchase. And for those folks that you know aren't aware of the difference, if we do an asset purchase of your company, We buy all the assets, the name, the customer list, software, contracts, et cetera, but we don't buy the actual company, the stock, the shares, the incorporated entity. We separate those two. Now, why would someone do that? Why would someone sell the assets and not the whole company? Well, if you're like us and all you want are the assets, but you don't care about the actual corporate entity and all the stockholders and all the debt they may have created and all the liabilities they have. It's a way to buy the good stuff without worrying about the bad stuff. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, it's the only way, it's the only way to buy it, right? Because if you were to absorb the rest of it, if you took the entire corporate entity, it would probably make the deal undoable, right? Because of the liabilities that were on the table, because of all the other things that were going on. In that case in particular, there were other legal implications due to things like payroll tax and HR liabilities, lots of other really, really complicated things that we wanted no part of, not because we didn't care, but caring would have cost more than the benefit of buying the business. And so it would have been a charitable contribution to startup world. (laughs) So not what we're into. Now imagine all of the liabilities within the company, credit card debts they owed, contracts they signed, et cetera, still exist with the company. 
all the assets are gone, but all the liabilities are still sitting within the company, which means all of the people that work there, the founders that had signed on it, they have all of these liabilities as if nothing happened. Now, of course, we gave them money for those assets. So they, they, they have you know money they can use to pay those things off. But now they have a gazillion creditors to deal with, which by the way, was going to happen either way. The creditors were going to be the same either way. Yeah, would have been worse without selling the assets. So that is just worth mentioning. So this doesn't sound totally robber baron style. The money was used then because they would have had those liabilities. Had they not sold the assets of the company, they would have had, they were at a negative cash position. They would have had no way to wind down the company. They would have had no way to pay that $90,000 bill. They would have had no way to do any of those things. So the asset purchase facilitated the wind down of the corporate entity. You bet. Great way to put it, Ryan. Okay. So uh, moving along here, Justin, you also asked, what's the typical time frame for winding down a company? Six months after you should have. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly. The wind down can vary, but from what we've seen from founders, et cetera, giving themselves three to six months to do the wind down long past when you've shut the doors and everything else, and you're probably working at another company while you're doing it is a good enough time because it's not just the legal process. It's a lot of process and back and forth with all the remaining creditors. And again, there's a lot of people involved typically in a wind down. And so you need some cash and you need some time, probably not less than $25,000 of cash and probably not much less than six months. Yeah. It, depending on where you are, right? So corporate structures and, and things vary widely state to state, but also country to country. And so there are things like in the UK, VAT liabilities that may still be, they still may require reconciliation. There may not be anything due, but there'll still be paperwork that has to be filed when at the end of your next fiscal year. So if you wind down on day five of your fiscal year, you've got a responsibility 360 days from now to file more paperwork that's completely irrelevant, but it's required, right? So there's there are all sorts of strange things that you end up having to do. It feels a bit like a whole bunch of homework assignments for a class you stop taking. And it's, it's a, painful. <laughs> a great way to put it. It's painful. All right, who do we have up next, Ryan? Let's see. <laughs> He <laughs> said, I didn't know this was the spooky Halloween special uh, because we're talking about scary stuff. I love that. What was scariest about this? Because we, we also aren't trying to just scare the shite out of everyone, right? So let's talk about what about this scared you and let's make sure that the thing that you're scared of is the reality of the situation. Um, just the personal liability because I recently incorporated my company. So I thought I'm sorted now. But all the things like about having personal liability on your rent and on leases and everything else that the corporate veil can be pierced. I didn't realize that. And um, that means I risk getting a poor personal credit rating for the future, which is an additional problem on top of everything else. But I guess that's the name of the game. So I'm already strapped in. So I might as well just keep going. <laughs> And it will depend, to Dina's point, it will depend on how did you sign those documents? What is in the fine print, right? Did it say, did you sign personally and as a company? You, know, you can sign as an officer of the company, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not personally liable, doesn't necessarily mean that you are. It's going to come down to the specific contract, what's in the terms of that contract. So yeah, reading those things. And, and, and to Will's early point, we may not have a choice, right? We may not have a choice. They may say like, look, oh, you don't want to be personally liable for this? Cool. Then don't move in here and don't start paying us rent. Yeah. Then you don't get it. You don't want to be personally liable for your Amex? Good. You won't have an Amex. You don't want to be personally liable for your lease? Then you won't have a lease. It's not like we had a choice. It's not, okay, cool. Well, hold on. 
I'd like to sign for this personally. I want to make sure that I'm all in on this thing, right? Like, right. I want you to know I've got skin in the game, Amex. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how any of this works. Yep. You know, what we're trying to make folks acutely aware of is that we are very tethered to these things, usually for a lot longer than we expect to be, right? Again, we're thinking, God, I just can't wait for this thing to be over with. I just want to shut it down. I want to uh, put it to bed. And we realize just because we feel that way, all of our contracts feel very differently. And then let's say we don't have a lot of outstanding contracts. We didn't sign the office lease or we don't have the corporate Amex in our name. Even just winding down an entity, right? Just making sure legally it is closed and done can cost a couple bucks, right? Some people just abandon it and just like let the chips fall where they may. I wouldn't recommend that, but <laughs> you wouldn't be the first person to do it. But in order to put everything away, I don't think people realize that like, hey, all the people that may be invested, et cetera, don't necessarily have or feel the same liability and likely will just walk away. And we're the last people kind of still holding the bag. Ryan, who else do we have? Justin, again, uh, asks, how do you do that from the start, though? How do you know things you don't know at that point? Where do you go? I, again, some of this is going to be unavoidable. I think that the point Will made kind of three quarters of the way through, which is, be mindful of what you've signed. Be mindful of what falls on the personal side, what's on the company side, what should be safe behind the corporate veil and what's not. And at the first available opportunity, try to change that, right? So things that you may have had to be personally liable for. And sometimes it's not just about the, the personal liability. Sometimes it's about things like duration, right? When we, I'll use HubSpot as an example. When we started with them, it was annual contracts and annual payments, and so, you know, you're, you're on the hook for that. Well, nothing better than paying an annual payment for a SaaS for a company that gets wound down two months later so that you've paid for 10 months that you're not going to use and or just remaining liable or signing a year contract that you or the company is still still liable for. Even if that safe behind the corporate veil still has to be dealt with, they're still going to want you to pay it. They're still going to come after you. If there are assets in the company to be sold, everybody's going to start attaching themselves to that. So limit the liabilities as much as you can. And, and sometimes it's things like contract renegotiation, price renegotiation, doing everything you can to limit the total exposure that you have as soon as you can. Make that an active exercise that you engage in as a founder, as a company, right? If you've got a finance department, then they should be on top of some of this stuff. Yeah. And it's like anything else. Like if you have a mortgage, if you have rent, if you've got car lease, you got a car loan, student loan, whatever, you know you're on the hook for those. I think the problem that, that we run into as founders is it doesn't really occur to us that these liabilities are the exact same liabilities. And we often have a lot of them. And like we said before, they tend to be way in excess of whatever we would have taken on personally. And again, just so, so we're not mixing this, you're probably going to sign that anyway in the first few years. You're probably going to sign for that lease. You're probably going to sign for that card. We all do. What we're saying is, number one, don't forget as the business might be like taking a, a header that all of those really are your personal liabilities. Secondly, as fast as you can get off those personal liabilities, like that should be so top of mind. Like, how do I unwind this like yesterday? And, and I think that's important because again, the problem is the company starts to grow a bit and like, oh, well, we're good. You know, like the company's going to cover, et cetera. If you guys have learned anything in this past year, it's how quickly a company can go from hero to zero. Again, as we're recording this, I always like to timestamp this. This is November of 2022. And we just watched a, a crypto company called FTX 
go from a $32 billion valued company to a zero uh, billion dollar valued company in 72 hours, right? It's not amazing to me because I've seen it happen a million times, right? It's not amazing to me because I've been through it personally. So if it's your first time out and you're like, oh, well, we're far enough along. We've got a million in ARR. Like that's, you know, that's, that $5,000 a month liability is not a big deal anymore. Nah, it's Everybody thinks that until it's not. When we bought Zirtual, they were doing a million a month in revenue, right? So a $90,000 personal statement didn't seem like a, a big deal until the next day they weren't. And now $90,000 was all the money in the world, especially if you're not getting paid. You got to be so zoned in on what those liabilities are and treat them as your own because in many ways they are. And again, Trent has asked the question here to catch 22 at the end of the day, right? Meaning that, yeah, we have to sign for some of this stuff. We don't really have a way around it. If we want to play, we have to pay. But let's use this as one more chance to reiterate the fact that it's a catch-22, but not a perpetual one, right? You can start to shed some of those liabilities and you can start to stave them off, right? You can renegotiate, you can do all those things. So yeah, I think that it's, it's about changing that liability to the extent that we can over time. In the beginning, likelihood is 99.9% .9 of it rests on you. If you're diligent, and you're having, you know, good fortune and some success, you have the opportunity to shift some of that, but right? it's not a guarantee. Okay. And that's after getting funded, correct? At the end of the day, once you can pass off the guarantees and the personals and whatnot, right? Could be funding, could just be cash flow success, okay. could be could be payment history, right? Like if you've been paying a vendor or a landlord for a period of time and they feel comfortable with you now, they may be willing to renegotiate. So a lot of these things depend on the timing, right? So if it's now you've you finished your first five-year lease with somebody, they want you to re-sign, you've got a little leverage now too, right? You're like, okay, we'll re-sign another five-year lease, but I'm not putting my name on it this time, right? They may tell you to go pound sand, but you at least you have you have some leverage. The first time you go to sign that, they're like, big deposit, personal guarantees, and no flexibility. And you'll smile while signing it. Yep, agreed. Let's jump over to Angela. Angela, you said, my motto after COVID for anything long-term is, I have to live long enough, no long-term agreements. <laughs> I just love that. It's what true. prompted that? Well, I mean, in our industry, my industry is cash pay, primarily plastic surgeons and cosmetic surgeons. So everyone thought when COVID happened, including me, you know, I'm always... I think a lot like you guys. I listened to you guys for a long time. I didn't join for years until like just now I just joined. So even though I listen to all the time. We're not I, mad at you. <laughs> hey, I'm just being real. But I will tell you the thing that I always loved is I think we think a lot of like, I always think the shoe's going to fall off and it's going to drop. And I'm always, I never count the customers as my customers. I, what I say is there's no such thing as my customer, my husband, my daughter, my son, none of them, they don't belong to you. So I always feel the same way. So I'm always thinking so anything can happen. So when we thought, oh my gosh, you know, what, who are we going to sell to? So I thought, hey, I'll sell to veterinarians. I don't care. doesn't matter. You know, but it didn't happen. Everything, we actually had a 25% increase in our industry during COVID, which is just amazing. I guess, I don't know if it's a fact that people hadn't, I knew, I do know, they didn't have anything to spend the money on, that extra money, couldn't go anywhere, and they figured, hey, I'll get my boobs done. Whatever. We were all, we were all spending all our day on Zoom. Like, I, when I, all my other conversations, I didn't have to see my own face, but now that I'm on Zoom all day long, I see my face all day, like, exactly. damn right, I'm going to go get some plastic surgery. I mean, that some work. These crazy... <laughs> We were so busy. So even though my whole company's virtual, I've always had an office because I need to break a space. So 
the landlord at first, because I live in California, I thought, oh, great, I'm not going to have to pay my rent for six months. So I went and said, oh, so what's what do I get because of COVID? She's like, uh, we'll let you out of your lease. I'm like, mm, not the answer I wanted. So then she said, well, how about if we give you, you go ahead, you can go ahead and sign for two years. I'm like, nope, I have to live long enough. <laughs> but you're, <laughs> you're getting, what's my minimum? So I signed for one year. Same for Zoho, the same for all of my, I didn't, everything I have, I still do either month to month or their minimum amount, even though I know in the long run, I pay more, but you got to live long enough. There is no long run. If you don't live long enough, you got to live long enough. So that's, that's my it. Got to stay around. <laughs> Love it. Around. I agree. I agree. Thanks for sharing that. And also thanks for listening. You know, I think when we think about long-term commitments at a startup, it, it cracks me up. The idea of a five or seven year commitment at the early ages of a startup, the only people that even ask for those commitments are people that don't normally know what startups are about. Right. They're like, that's like asking a college student to sign a mortgage. Like, you don't only be on campus for like a few years, right? Like this, this isn't like a long-term commitment. And and there aren't that many that we can get uh, looped into. But she mentioned Zoho, she mentioned like SaaS uh, contracts and stuff like that. We sign little of if any of those contracts. We will always do like the shorter term, likely more expensive contract every single time. Cause and we're a pretty good sized company. Doesn't matter. Things change on a dime and we're just used to it. So we try to keep our all of our liabilities as short term as possible. Yeah. Just a funny note about things like annual discounts. Everybody who provides a discount for an annual product knows that you were less likely to stay around for a year. You're going to end up paying more for that. If, they, if they're giving you two months off, it means that their current LTV is eight months. So they know they're getting two bonus months out of you, right? It's never a discount. It's an extension of their LTV. So be wary be wary. On that note, we're going to wrap here. Guys, we love having you on the show. We love the questions. We can actually uh, keep this going on the Founder Group Slack if you guys uh, have some more questions. But again, thanks for listening. Ryan and I always appreciate the time. Some of you have been listening for a long time, like Angela said she has. Efren, you said, you know, hey, I've been listening for a long time. I know a lot of you guys have. It's awesome. Again, we appreciate it more than anything. And we'd love to see you guys on the next show. Sound good? Take care, guys. Hope we terrified you enough for one day. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.